Greetings to those who watch below. For today's video, we are continuing on our US tour. And as suggested by Commando Girl 22 and Christina Groves, we're heading to Ohio. But before we do, I'd like to say a massive thank you to those who dwell below. They are Steffi Ray, Wicked Witch, Jess Black Curtain, Lisa Watts, Lefty Kim, and Christina Groves. Thank you guys so much. If any of you would like to join them, make sure to check out the link in the description box, where you can also find details of my first merchandise line, which features the channel's banner on the front, and also my famous sign-off on the back. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the stories. The Oxford Light by Alex I live in Ohio. It's full of ghost stories, and for almost three years, I've been investigating the history behind local urban legends. I also have a website where I keep meaning to document my findings, but um, I get lazy. Here in southwestern Ohio, perhaps the most known ghost story is The Light. It's the most cliché story ever told, and I've heard several variations of it from all over the country. It's especially hard for me to take this story seriously since it comes straight from a college town, which are full of shenanigans. Well, to get to my point, here's our local version of a light story. This haunting comes from just outside of Oxford. The story goes that two forbidden lovers would meet up a certain driveway along the road. The girl would take her father's car and pull out to the end of the road and flash her lights three times to signal for her boyfriend to come over. One night as he began down the road, a young boy was riding his bicycle in the road. The boyfriend, riding a motorcycle, didn't see the boy until it was too late. Both the boy and the boyfriend died. The girl later hung herself in the barn, of which remnants still remain. It is said that if you go to the spot where the girl would flash her lights, and flash your lights three times toward the road, you can see small flashing red lights, and then a motorcycle headlight coming down the road. Some have even reported seeing many flashing lights, like at the scene of an accident, after the headlight disappears. Well heck, what's not to love? So, for the longest time, my friends and I have been investigating this story. First we had trouble finding the correct road, then for well over a year, we apparently had the wrong spot on the road. In another version of the story, the girl supposedly haunted her house, also on this road, but it was burnt down. We actually found some burnt remains, but nothing I honestly thought was a real house. Just a barn, with a tasteful rope hanging from a broken rafter. But finally, a friend explained to me that the way it works is you park in front of a still-inhabited house on the road and flash the lights, not this empty lot we were going to. This made me awfully suspicious, and I was ready to bust this myth faster than Adam and Jamie on a good day. So, last Thursday night, my friend and I decided we were going to beat this myth. My friend Tony would drive, and I would get out of the car and station myself further up the road. Then Tony would get into position, and flash the lights while the video camera recorded everything he saw, and I'd radio him if I saw any cars coming. We gathered the equipment and headed out. After a stop at a Burger King, we made it to the Oxford Milford Road at about 9.50pm, which is lined with country houses, and other places I thought for sure could be an obstacle. But once you're far back on that road, it's pretty dark. The houses are all downhill and covered in bushes, with few house lights I can remember. We pulled up to the correct spot and flashed the lights. Sure enough, and much to my disbelief, 
there it was. A single bluish-white light seemed to actually make its way down the road. I mistook it for a car and cried out, Tony, car coming, turn your car back on, we don't want an accident. Well, luckily, he knew better. This light just faded in and out from on top of the hill, perhaps a yard away from our car, never actually coming down at us. I fumbled with my video camera the whole time. The oddest thing, as Tony pointed out to me, was that the light was straight ahead of us, and yet our car's windshield showed a reflection that looked like headlights when passing behind trees, or, as Tony described it, like it's underwater. Well, the light faded away, and we drove up the road looking for clues, and immediately drove back. However, this time we pulled into a driveway and turned to face the direction the light would be coming from, only to find the light was already shining back at us, before we even turned off our engine, or even our headlights. It was odd though, the light was incredibly bright. This was obviously no idiot with a flashlight pulling our leg, and yet I was incredibly suspicious. So I gave out a war cry, and Tony charged our chariot towards the light to find... nothing. Up the road we saw a car coming, so I finally realised, okay, there must be a reflection. That's it, cars are coming down the road and must be reflecting off something. So I hopped out the car and stood to the side of the road. Tony circled back around to the correct spot and shut the car off. He flashed his lights and we waited. He reported nothing. Then finally I saw some headlights coming down the road and expected Tony to radio me with Alex, light. But nothing. Really. A big truck with monster headlights straight out of a Stephen King novel was gunning down the road and eventually turned off it. But Tony saw nothing but darkness. So, hopping back into the car, we drove around to look for anything. Eventually we realised there was a light behind us and thought it was a car. We were wrong. Tony realised that what I thought was a car behind us had the watery glow, and so he pulled over. Again, this light faded in and out, and just seemed to hover brightly about a yard away from us. It was then I realised something. I didn't just see the bluish-white light, but also a yellow light that blinked, like a turning signal. So again, I was convinced this was a car returning to their home. Heck, we weren't even in the designated spot to flash our lights. It was like it followed us this whole time. So we drove off to the correct spot, and out of curiosity, we flashed our lights while the engine was on. This time, nothing happened, so we finally left. The next day, I had a friend at Miami University in Oxford hit the libraries for me, and immediately he ran into a librarian who had an entire manila folder full of people who saw the light. And yet, there were no records of a motorcycle accident or a house burning down. Heck, the librarian lived in Oxford for 30 years and claimed she never even heard of an ambulance going down that road. So that leaves me with this. I have a DVD handycam with a DVD-R that now contains footage of a so-called magic light. It's a file that I'd like to figure out how to convert into something I can put on YouTube. Also, I plan on making a daytime trip to the road in hopes to look for any visible explanations, or to talk to some people about the light. And I'd also like to try to get better footage of the light in action. The Loveland Frogman in March of 1972, on two separate occasions, two Ohio policemen saw what became known as the Loveland Frogman, 
Fourteen investigators, Ron Schaffner and Richard Mackey, who interviewed the officers, investigated the incident. The first incident took place at 1am on March 3rd, 1972, on a clear, cold night. Officer Ray Shockey was en route to Loveland via Riverside Road, when he thought he saw a dog beside the roadway, in a field on Twytwee Road. When the thing stood up, its eyes, illuminated by the car headlights, looked at him for an instant, turned, and leapt over a guardrail. Shockey saw it go down an embankment and into the Little Miami River. He described the thing as weighing about 60 pounds, standing 3 to 4 feet tall, and having a textured, leathery skin, and a face like a frog or lizard. Shockey drove to the police station and returned with Officer Mark Matthews to look for evidence of the creature. They turned up scrape marks leading down to the side of the small hill near the river. On St. Patrick's Day, March 17, 1972, Officer Matthews was driving outside of Loveland when he had a similar experience. Seeing an animal lying in the middle of the road, he stopped to remove what he thought was a dead critter. Instead, when the officer opened his squeaky car door, the animal got up into a crouched position like a football player. The creature hobbled to the guardrail and lifted its leg over the fence, keeping an eye on Matthews the whole time. Perhaps it was the funny smirk on its face, but Matthews decided to shoot it. He missed, however, probably because the thing didn't slow down. Matthews later told how he felt the creature stood more upright than the way Shockey had described it. One area farmer told investigators he saw large frog-like or lizard-like creatures during the same month of the officer's sightings. The reports of the 1972 frogman had been hard on the witnesses. Those two officers took a lot of flack about the sighting back then, said a local businessman who wished not to be identified in a 1985 newspaper story about the sightings. People made fun of them and the city. Years later, in 1999, during local media interviews, Mark Matthews explained that he was tired of talking about the frogman and that what he had seen was an iguana. But at the time, both witnesses definitely saw something like an upright, man-like lizard about four feet tall. And then there is the matter of the sketch. Officer Shockey's sister drew it for them shortly after their experience with the creature, and it clearly looks like a giant frogman, a bipedal creature. During 2001, Weird Ohio did a follow-up investigation, re-interviewing principals, including asking Ron Schaefner about Matthews' attempts to pull back from his original story. Schaefner told them, Why, after all these years, is Matthews debunking the story? I'm not sure. Could be a number of reasons. But both officers told us that it resembled the sketch in 1976. Why would they show us a composite... Why would they show us a composite drawing of this creature back in 76 and tell us that it looked like the drawing? I lived in Loveland for about five years, and the story is still circulating with many variations. Just maybe, Matthews is tired of hearing the story and all the variations. Small Mansion Built in the 1600s by Crow It all started when we moved into our new house. It was left for my dad when my grandma passed. The house was a small mansion built by my ancestors. It has been in our family ever since the 1600s. It's a three-story house with a balcony on the second and third story, and a fountain in the middle of the front yard that doesn't run. The history of the house was very graphic. The house had been passed down through the generations. The ghosts that haunt the house in my family 
were the very first ones to live in the mansion, the Marrows. They were Henry the father, Samantha the mother, and their children, David, Abigail, William, Elizabeth, Harold, and Marie. According to history, Henry became very sick and ended up being possessed. As the family tried hopelessly to save him, he told David and Abigail that their deaths would be the most brutal. Then one night, as the children were sitting in the parlour, a gunshot was fired. Indeed, it was Henry. He had shot and killed Samantha. As the children tried to escape, he killed them off one by one. I'm not going to give the exact details due to how graphic it was. After Henry killed everyone in his family, he went out into the backyard and killed himself. Back to this time period. A short time after moving in, my parents and I were sitting in the dining room eating dinner, when all of a sudden, the table started to shake violently. After it stopped, I looked up and saw something run past the archway. I got up and dashed over to where I saw it, but it was gone. I'm an only child, and the only pet we have is a cat. The size of what I saw was at least four foot tall, so I couldn't imagine what it was. The next night I was in my room alone. I was getting ready for bed, and I accidentally knocked something off my dresser. I bent down to pick it up, and it suddenly became cold. I stood up, and in the mirror in front of me, I saw what was actually David, standing behind me. I didn't know at the time that this was David. I had no idea who this person was. Scared out of my mind, I turned around and he was gone. I rushed down to my parents' room, but they were already asleep. The next day around lunch, I heard heavy footsteps going up the stairs. I looked around the corner, and there was no one, so I just went back to what I was doing. About two minutes later, I heard it again upstairs right above my head, as if someone were walking around. My parents had already gone to work, so I thought someone had broken in. I crept upstairs with a stainless steel candle holder in my hand. I walked up to the door and busted in, and all the noise instantly stopped. I started to wonder if maybe my house was haunted. That night after dinner, my dad walked into the kitchen to get something to drink. My mum and I were still seated at the dinner table, and we heard something break against the floor. We went into the kitchen to see what happened. My dad was standing there with the broken glass on the floor next to him. Mum asked what was wrong. He said he saw a little girl sitting in a puddle of blood. He said she had bloody cuts all over her, and her eyes were completely white. We all had trouble sleeping that night. At about ten past twelve at night, I was lying in bed staring at the ceiling, when out of nowhere, I heard a little boy laughing. I sat up, and it stopped. I lay back down and rolled over to face the wall. After laying there for about two minutes, I heard my door creak open, and footsteps coming up behind me. I rolled over, and it was David. He was standing over me trying to tell me something. He had short black hair, old-fashioned clothes, bloody and ripped to shreds. His skin was grey, and he too had bloody cuts on his arms, and one on his head above his right eyebrow. His words started to make a little sense now. Help us. He's... he's coming. He'll... he'll kill... he'll kill. And then just like that, he vanished. I was so scared. I grabbed my baseball bat just in case something tried to kill me. I ran down the hall and burst into my parents' room. They weren't asleep yet. They asked me what was wrong. I asked them if they had seen or heard anything strange. They both replied no. 
that's when I decided to research the history of my house. After I learned everything, I realised why their ghosts would still be in our house. They were tortured and killed. Completely innocent. Murdered. We're used to it now. I must say I've had a lot of different ghost experiences. Still, to this day, our house is haunted. My mum has seen a dead boy in the bathtub, and my cousin has heard a girl crying in my closet. Clark Avenue House by Monicar It was the late 1980s, and we lived on West 52 off Clark Avenue, Cleveland, Ohio. One day I was making Charlie's bed, my youngest of three kids, while the kids were in school, and as I smoothed the blankets with my hand, out of the corner of my eye, I saw Charlie's radio and cassette holder turn. The corner seemed to point at my Pomeranian, Samantha. She had just got home from having surgery. She had cancer, and after that happened, she died. It was like a sign pointing to Sam. One day, I was washing clothes all day long on a ringer washer. It was dusk out and I was in the basement folding clothes. I kept feeling like I was being watched. So, I started talking to myself, saying, Oh my gosh, I'm going to be up all night long doing clothes. I'll have to come back down here again. Hoping that whatever was watching me would change its mind and get me on the next trip I came down. So once I made it upstairs, I never went back down late in the evening again. Or if I did, I made the kids come with me and watch my back as they sat on the stairs and talked to me. One morning I went down, and from a dark corner I could hear whispering saying, Mary, Mary, come here Mary over and over again. I'll tell you what, I have never seen that girl run hurdling over extension cords that fast ever again. I got the heck out of there. I thought as long as I wasn't in the basement, I was fine. Or so I thought. One night I dozed off. Myself and my husband slept in the same room but had different beds. I felt breathing on my neck, and I could feel something was holding my head to the pillow. I know it wasn't my husband, because I was looking at him in his bed. I couldn't move for anything. When I was released, I got up and looked around. I passed it off as me being very tired and must have been dreaming. I didn't tell anyone. The next night it happened all over again, except this time it touched my side, which is a very sensitive spot to me that I can't stand to have touched. It was breathing on me and holding me down, and again I couldn't move. Well that was when I was going to tell the family, but I knew something smart would be said. And sure enough, my youngest son Charlie did. I got mad and said I wasn't going to tell them anything else. And I wasn't. Until that night when the blankets flew off me and I got pulled out of bed. I looked around thinking the kids were making fun of me and pulled me. But they were sleeping. Then, one day, my daughter Mary was babysitting a little girl. The girl was spending the night and she asked Mary, Can we please go back home and stay there? She was scared and Mary asked what was wrong. The little girl said there was a man standing by Mary's dresser looking at her, so they ended up sleeping in the living room, and I threw that dresser on the curb the next day. I received that dresser from a Salvation Army thrift store. None of this happened until I bought this dresser, and as soon as the dresser left, everything stopped. The Bellevue Haunt by Crom. 1987. My fiancé and I were parents to a beautiful boy, and we had just moved into a new apartment in Bellevue, Ohio. 
This apartment was very nice, with a full basement and an upstairs where our bedrooms and bathroom were located. For months we lived there, and didn't feel anything unusual about the house, but there's always a beginning to something, and ours was just about to start. One night, we were sitting downstairs watching television, and our son upstairs began to wail his head off, which wasn't unusual considering he wasn't even a year old at the time, and might have been scared of the dark for all we knew. My fiancé had me go upstairs to get him, and the hallway in the upstairs was chilly, but nothing out of the ordinary. He was pointing at the corner of the room when I walked in and turned on the light, and I didn't see anything. I just thought he was afraid of the dark. I carried him downstairs and he calmed down, sitting with my fiancé on the couch. That night, though, we kept feeling like something was staring at us from the top of the steps. Now, I don't mean standing and looking down at us, I mean like crouched down looking at us with a screaming face. We both described the feeling in our heads of what was looking down at us. A month goes by, and we would just occasionally get the feeling something was watching us. I would especially feel it as I played World of Warcraft at night with my guildmates, who were all real life friends. I'd tell them through Ventrilo that I felt like I was being watched constantly, and would turn around thinking someone was standing behind me on the steps. My friends knew I had a bad run with an entity in the past, and thought I was just being paranoid, which is a very plausible thing, but I remember always feeling watched at night. A couple weeks later I was coming home from work, and my fiancé calls me frantic on the phone. She was in a panic that someone was trying to get into the kitchen through the basement door, and she had wedged my son's high chair to stop the door from opening, but it was constantly pounding from the basement side. I floored it to get home, and by the time I got there she was hysterical, and begged me to check it out. I grabbed an old flashlight and a large kitchen knife, and went outside to the metal door that opened downstairs into the basement near our washer and dryer. I didn't see anything downstairs, and checked the steps as well, which didn't show any signs of damage from the pounding. My fiancé was having trouble sleeping after that, which I don't blame her. Eventually, everything started to settle down, but we'd come home to random stuff moved in the kitchen or off the dining room table. My work sold small tape recorders, and I bought one, and we decided that we were going to set it up in our dining room while we left for a few hours one day. When we came home, we played it back, and could hear random sounds around the house, such as doors or cabinets opening and closing. The only thing that puzzled us was this super quiet whisper that we were unable to make out, but it sounded like two people talking to each other, to the point where we couldn't even make out the words with headphones on and complete silence in our house. We tried a few more sessions, hoping to get more voices, but would rarely even hear doors opening, so we thought things were dying down. A few nights later, my fiancé found out we were wrong. We were downstairs watching The Price is Right one morning, and she explained to me that she saw something hovering over our bed one night. She described it as a little boy hanging from the ceiling fan, and he was looking down at her. Naturally, I freaked out a bit, because that is a pretty creepy thing to think about. She said that he was just staring at her, and that she was afraid to wake me up. This obviously caused me to have trouble sleeping, but we didn't see anything for a while once again. It was apparently my turn, and one night I woke up to a bright light behind me. I remember turning around, and seeing a luminescent female face was hovering over my fiancé, but all I said to it was, Go back to sleep, sweetie. 
and rolled over and fell asleep. When I awoke, I started replaying what I saw, and couldn't believe I didn't react differently to the spirit hovering. My worn-out brain literally just told me it was my fiancé, when it clearly wasn't. I explained to my fiancé that I believed something was hovering over her, and we began to do some investigating around the house. When we walked down the hallway, we noticed hundreds of handprints strewn across the wall, which were childlike, but well out of reach for our one-year-old son. They were slightly under my chin in height, and I'm 5'8", but they were covering every inch around the wall towards our bedroom door. The prints are what I imagine it would be like if somebody had oily palms, and rested them on the wall for a while. Now we've walked down that hallway hundreds of times, and those handprints were recent, and some had scratches going down them, like short fingernails scratching plaster or paint, not like a claw of some animal. Unfortunately, my fiancé and I had a falling out for a while, in which I helped her move back to her mother's house, and I moved back to my grandparents' house. Our landlords never really gave me any clues about the residence, and I attempted to find out some history of the property, but didn't really turn up anything significant. They recently sold the property through the realtor company my grandmother works for, and seemed really upset when buyers would back out of it. In fact, I'm not sure if anyone ever did buy it, but I do know the landlords moved south to Kentucky due to our local Ford plant closing and the husband working for Ford. Considering the house was in the middle of the town of Bellevue, Ohio, I was shocked it had such paranormal activity. Usually, when I think of paranormal, I think of a country residence outside of a town. It just goes to show that paranormal occurrences can happen anywhere, anytime, and apparently for any reason. Hi guys, thank you so much for listening to today's stories. I really hope you enjoyed them. If you'd like to have a say in which state we visit next week, please make sure to hit it down in the comments below. I do always read them, even if I don't get time to respond myself. Also, if you haven't already, please like, share, and subscribe to the channel, making sure to hit the notification bell so that you know when the next video goes live. So, until next time, sleep tight.